Hello and welcome to the Justin Show podcast, season two, episode two. My name is Justin and I am joined as always with my legendary co-host, also named Justin. In tonight's episode, we will review the shocking loss to the Stanford Cardinal and preview the upcoming road game with the California Golden Bears. And with that lovely intro, I want to welcome in all of our listeners to the Justin Show episode two. I'm here with my co-host Justin. Justin, say hello. Hello. How's it going? (laughs) Uh, One thing uh, I want to say before, the reason we usually wait a little while after the game to record this podcast is we want to try to take the emotion and the hot take out of our reviews, and that way we can give you a full-on solid review of the game and not have just an emotional, irrational uh, hot takes or what have you. So that's why we got a question as to why we record late and not like on a Sunday or a Monday. Uh, and it's because we want to give you guys the best content. And so we think if we take our emotions out of it, uh, that is the best plan. And you know why it's going to take your emotions out of it? Because if you have an emotional game, you tend to have emotional reactions. And that's what we had on Saturday against the Stanford Cardinal. Um, one thing I did want to say is if we're going to jump right into it is this game reminded me a lot of a game way back when about 18 years ago justin you want to talk about that game do you remember that game that i'm talking about right now yeah that was uh the 2010 game when uh stanford jumped out like 21-3 we kicked that onside uh recovered it and then it was pretty much um uphill from there uh as far as oregon rolling um, or to be downhill, uh, I'd say uphill, I suppose. Um, but you know, I think we mentioned it last week where uh, Spencer Pacinger tweeted out that the thing he remembers is Chip Kelly got them all together and got a few of the, the leaders together and goes, Well, guys, we, we've done everything we can do to lose, now let's do something to win the game. And he just kind of said, Well. That, that makes so much sense, and they just went out there and did it. Um, so I had that same thought cross my mind midway through the, the second quarter. But as I, as I think back, the difference is, is Stanford didn't win that game. Oregon lost it. Uh, in 2010, I don't think you can say that. I think you can say Oregon clearly won that game and outplayed Stanford for three quarters. So I hear you, but actually, I'm going to go back 10 years before that game. In 2001, Stanford came into Autzen Stadium. Oregon was the heavy favorite. Stanford had their backup QB. Oregon was up 42-28 in the fourth quarter. Stanford blocked two punts and Mm -hmm. ended up winning in Autzen to break the streak. But... uh, if I remember correctly, that season turned out okay. Oregon ended up going on, and in the great words of Joe Giansante, don't oh, let goodness. Stanford beat us twice. They went yep. into Wazoo, beat a very good Washington State team on the road, and ended up going to the Fiesta Bowl and uh, beating Colorado and ended up number two in the country. 
So for those of you that are down and out, don't worry about it. Things are gonna be okay. They're not gonna get to those levels this year, but this has happened before with Stanford. Also another game I wanna bring up, 2007, Oregon played Cal. Uh, Cameron Coleman, Colvin fumbled the football into the end zone for the game-tying touchdown. Cal took over, game over. Mm-hmm. It was an early season home game. Oregon rallied that season until Dennis Dixon blew out his knee, and then the season kind of fell apart. But this has happened to Oregon in the past. Oregon has recovered well, and nobody really remembers those games. They remember how the end of season happened, what happened in Boy. November. And mm-hmm. my point is, is you can lose a game in September and you can recover in November. Yeah. You can even look just a few years ago when Marcus uh, was a junior, his final year, we lost early to Arizona. Everybody was saying, oh, the season's over with, fire Halfridge, which turned out they were right right there. But Fentress was going on and on about how, how uh, Marcus is going to lose the Heisman out. He won't even get invited to New York. And we all know how that turned out. And so... It's easy to look at an early loss and to be like, oh, this sucks. Now now our season's over with, which ain't the case. Stanford can lose a couple games in the Pac-12, and if Oregon wins out, they're going to be the Pac-12 North champ. So it's not like we're dead in the water all of a sudden. It's not like if Washington loses a game this year, they know they're not going to make it into the, the, the playoff because they'll have two losses. So... A, a loss early isn't necessarily bad as long as you take care of business going down the road. You've made it harder on yourself, absolutely, but it, you're not dead. I agree with you on that. Um, I well, and, and I think everybody that watched the game saw that and saw that Oregon Oregon was better than Stanford uh, throughout that game, and they went up. They actually moved up a spot in the rankings to number 19. Um, and so they even they moved up a spot even with a loss. And so I think that kind of goes to show you that uh, people saw what Oregon, well, the product Oregon put on the field. That was the highest mm-hmm. rated Pac-12 game on ABC in something like four or five years. And so people did yeah. in. People like Oregon. Oregon's a national brand. And I, they didn't do themselves. Obviously, if they win, it's great. Um, but with that small of a margin and how that game played out, uh, I don't think Oregon uh, hurt themselves in any major way. No, I think had they won, they probably would jump eight to ten spots in the polls. Yeah, I think they would have been around the twelve to fourteen mark. Yeah, I mean, so it it sucks that they lost. Um, it was it was a tough loss, but we got to move on. We got we got to go ahead and look towards Cal. Um, I think we need to start looking at at the future of Oregon football and it is very very bright the way the offensive line played the way the defensive line played uh, those are things that we've never seen out of an Oregon team ever uh, and so we out Stanford Stanford in the, in, in the, um, along the, the line of scrimmage but we still have that, that big playability on offense yep uh, moving straight into that now Let's talk a little bit about Justin Herbert. First, his performance, and then his connection with uh, especially Dylan Mitchell um, in this game. So leading up to this game, there... Actually, let's talk Justin Herbert. First of all, um, I think Justin Herbert is invited to New York at the end of the season. I don't think he wins the Heisman, but I think he's invited to New York. I think he should be. I think he's the best quarterback um, out there right now. That Tell me who's better, 
I don't there'll be guys that you know there'll be guys who put up godly numbers, but there's not an NFL style quarterback right now that um, is better than Herbert. The uh, West Virginia quarterback, I can't remember his name, Greer, his last name. Uh, Will Greer. Will Greer. He puts up pretty good video game numbers, um, and I think the the odds on favorite, at least right now, just because it's it's Tua Tagovailoa from Alabama. Um, just because oh, I, he's, yeah. he's the Alabama stand-in for the Heisman Trophy every year, so uh, and I think, he's a, yeah. and and he's really really good. I had he is a couple good. Fr- had a couple friends that went down to the Ole Miss Alabama game last week or I guess two weeks ago, and I remember sending him a text saying, "How does Tua look?" And he just replied back, "Unbelievable." So he's he's a left, you know, he's a left-handed uh, Marcus, uh, and so it's just it's sad that Helfrich passed on him. Just it was just one of the major of many misses that the old staff had. Uh, Justin Herbert, though, uh, going into overtime, what was he? Twenty-five of twenty-seven, three hundred and something. I think I thought it was twenty-three of twenty-three or twenty-five. So he had two incompletions in yeah. the entire game, and not only just two incompletions, he was he was throwing risky passes that the windows were very tight, but he was hitting those passes, and Stanford couldn't do anything to stop him. It was one of those games where he was on, he was throwing frozen ropes all over the field, and his receivers were catching the football. This is something we had grasped about last week about how his wide receivers he was putting the ball on the money, but his wide receivers were just dropping it. And I will be the first to say they impressed me against Stanford. Maybe not in the ability to get open and get separation, but when the ball arrived, they were catching it. Yeah, and you know. The two completions he had in, in regulation hit the guy. It's not that they dropped him. It was just great coverage. And Stanford had great coverage all night. Um, but moving uh, Dylan Mitchell into that slot, is we're starting to see dip the, 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 the payoff of that move because now he's going to be matched up against safeties who are going to be playing 10, 12 yards off the line of scrimmage. So he's going to have 10, 12 yards to get open. But he could just go 12 yards, turn around, the ball's going to be there. I don't know. how. I'd like to know how many times they completed just that simple pass route for, for all of his receiving uh, yards and catches he had. Now, do you think that got, was something they saw on tape uh, with Stanford? Or that's something that they didn't want to – like that was a wrinkle they didn't want to put in until they actually played Stanford? It's probably something they saw on tape. Mm-hmm. Um and Stanford made no adjustments to it, so they kept going back to it. And I actually thought Stanford did a good job because if they bust early, and if they if they start, you know, if Herbert or uh, Mitchell starts to slow down, that safety commit, he could just do a stop and go and just run right by the guy. But Stanford's DBs actually did a pretty good job and just kept everything in front of them. Definitely, definitely. It was it was fun to see a little pitch and catch and uh, some some uh, chemistry being developed between Dylan Mitchell and Justin Herbert. Something that we've been kind of waiting for the first couple of games. He showed uh, in the Oregon State game, or Civil War game last year, and then in the uh, bowl game against Boise State, Mitchell showed out, and it's nice that he's kind of coming back into the fold uh, and and kind of taking over that lead role, the go-to receiver. Yeah, you know, and we've been waiting for this for a while, like you said. You know, my cool, my question is going to be is can he sustain it? Was this kind of a one-game fluke? Um, we we know he has the talent, but but please, 
when you catch it, put the ball away. You don't need to dance for those extra yards. Just get what you can get and go down. Unless if it's like a, a third and third and long or, or whatever, and you need that first down. Sometimes he's he's got the first down and he's dancing with the ball outside of his body. And the, one of the, my buddies I sit next to was just every time just like screaming, "Go down, go down, go down." Because all it's going to take is one guy he doesn't see, and, and that's the ball's on the ground. So you mean like it, when you're fighting for more yards, do you got to protect the football? <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay, okay. But he's out, he's out in the open just dancing. Right, and it can punched out very easily. Um, yeah, there is a difference. Okay, talk to me a little bit about, uh, as a former coach uh, that you are, a defensive specialist, if you will, talk to me about the Oregon defense. Because let's, let's give them a round of applause uh, they played magnificent in this game. That front seven out Stanford did Stanford, <laughs> if you will. Yeah. Talk to me a little bit about what they were doing, what was working, and especially why Jordan Scott was so effective. Uh, there were times where he was in the hole just waiting for Bryce Love to get there, making before Bryce Love could even get to the line of scrimmage, having to adjust, having to cut. Uh, what, what was Oregon doing? What was uh, Jordan Scott doing that was making that so effective? The easy answer is they just did their job. You know, the guys at the end, you know, Hollins and Jelks, they made sure that he never got outside of them. Uh, the guys in the middle made sure that, that they took on blockers and let our linebackers flow to the football. Uh, so that's the easy answer. Um, but what they did was was they just won at the line of scrimmage. They, they had three down linemen and two end guys up on the line of scrimmage. So basically it was a 5-2 defense which allowed um, they, 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 they sent a lineman after a lineman or tight end after die and that allowed uh, Alana uh, whatever his last name is I had it here somewhere Alana Apu oh Apelu Apelu yeah that allowed him to run free and then that first couple of series you know he had four or five tackles and there's a couple of those were punishing hits on love yeah. um, but, but Jordan Scott is such a difference maker how quickly he can get off his off his blocks or, or get off the line of scrimmage off his blocks and force the running back to do something different is so impressive that he, he's going to have a future in football uh, and he was the guy that really went unrecruited uh, for most of his uh, high school season but, but the defensive lineman won the battle and to be able to say that against Stanford says something about the defensive lineman we have, and it says something about about Joe Salve and uh, the job he's doing. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, I think Jordan Scott kind of, one, put his name on the national stage, and two, maybe made himself a little money on Sundays uh, with that performance. <laughs> there is a, on that, that fourth and, and one that they stopped, um, they're in the fourth quarter, I believe it was the fourth quarter. Yeah, yep. They, they ran Scarlet up the middle. They had their jumbo package in. And I was like, I'm going to, because I just actually just finished watching the game like 20 minutes ago. Uh, and I watched that play a couple times. And Jordan Scott took on three guys and just hunkered down, and they went nowhere. He got lower. And then, uh, yeah, he, he got lower, and he's got those big old tree trunks for legs. <laughs> and he just anchored in, and he stayed put. And he got off the ball so fast, he actually hit two guys backwards, which, which, to me, is is what is why Oregon was able to, to tackle for a loss. Incredible. That was fun to see. That was fun to see Oregon matching and beating Stanford 
for physicality. Yeah, I don't even know if I'd say they matched him. I think they, they won that job easily. They won that battle fairly fairly easily. Well, even Oregon's offensive line, there's a few plays, uh, especially the two touchdowns. Verdell's touchdown, I think it was then uh, Cyrus Habibi Lico's touchdown, or maybe it was uh, uh, Tony Brooks James. Well, Oregon just, just absolutely demolished Stanford's defensive line. Like, there wasn't a guy yeah. standing anywhere no. there. And that's, I think that's a direct result of the Mario Cristobal. Uh, frame of mind, fundamentals, point of emphasis, whatever you want to call it, where he's bringing in, you see those uh, earth movers that he's bringing in, and you're starting to see a little payoff already. Absolutely. That's partly why that graduate transfer of Dallas Warmack was so big, is because mm-hmm. that, uh, for those of you who don't know, Dallas Warmack uh, played, what, four years at Alabama uh, with Mario Cristobal, then took a graduate transfer to Oregon. Uh, so that would be like getting a five-star offensive line recruit that has four years of college experience under his belt already. And so now you have a built-in guy that you can plug straight in into Cristobal's system. And you saw, uh, he w- he was an integral part in both of those touchdowns. He was a pulling guard. Uh, and so uh, that was that was great to see. I, I like seeing that. It's a new, it's a new, I guess you could call it, Cristobal stamp on the offense uh, that I, mm-hmm. I like to see. Um, Let's talk a little bit about stadium atmosphere. You were there at the game. How was it? How does it correlate to other games you and I have been to, you've been to? Uh, talk a little bit about what did you like? What were some things you were like, oh, not a huge fan of that? Talk to me about it. Um, it was good. Um, I actually thought it was the best probably atmosphere in probably three years, four years, something like that. A lot of people probably are saying back the Michigan to, State game. is the, Probably going back to the Michigan State game. Um, th- there were actually a few things that I didn't like. Um, one at the end of the game, throwing stuff, whether it be on the field um, at the because they missed a pi, or as if it was the the players running off, um, throwing stuff like that's uncalled for. Don't ever do that. Um, and then the thing that that just shook me and like I couldn't believe was as soon as they hit that field goal to force overtime, how people just got up from their seat and got into the cars and tried to beat traffic. Like, that floored me. Like, why would you leave? Like, I can't wrap my head around that. And so this is something you see when a team has success. Those people are what, what we refer to as bandwagon fans. To throw stuff and to leave is absolutely ridiculous. It should never happen, but it's always going to continue because people are idiots. And I think... I think we saw that, that no matter what happens, how good a team is, there's always going to be people who are there just to say, oh, hey, I went to the Oregon game Saturday. Well, how was overtime? Uh, well, I don't know. I wanted to beat traffic. You know, I've got that two-hour drive home. It's really hard at night. It's like, man, I, I don't get it. I, I really don't get it. Um, so those are the things that I didn't like. Um, if you throw stuff, you're an idiot. And if you leave early, then you don't say you're a fan. Just say you just happen to like football and you want some entertainment. I like the passion coming from that from that side of the studio here in the uh, recording room. A lot of passion from my co-host. <laughs> Love it. Well, it just drives me nuts 
Because those are the guys that show up with flags hanging off their cars, and they get out and they, you know, they're buying all the new stuff, and right. uh, you know, they, they want to talk, and they, you can tell that they really don't know what's going on about football. They're just there to have a good time. So it drives me crazy. The worst, in fact. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. Moving on. All right. So let's talk a little bit about uh, what are three things that you saw that Oregon did right in that ball game. Uh, the biggest to me was they scored early. They scored, you know, and they scored a touchdown their first three possessions, and then their fourth one, they kicked a field goal before halftime. But more than that, the defense got stopped. They didn't let Stanford hang around in that first half. Um, they they controlled the line of scrimmage on both sides of the football, and they executed it on third down. In the first half, they were five for six on third down. In the second half, they were they were four for ten. So they were nine for 16 during the game on third down, which is huge, especially in that first half, five for six. That means they kept Stanford's defense on the field a long time. And for a team like Stanford, who's not used to being on the field that much, it, it showed um, they're late in the second half. Yeah, it really did. They, uh, they weren't prepared for it. They, uh, yeah, they just weren't, they just weren't ready. Um, one thing that I thought was interesting, and I guess we can finish with this, not finish with this, but we can go into what Oregon did wrong, um, is last year we, we did complain. We were very passionate about how um, the halftime adjustments were left, left something to be desired, more or less. Mm-hmm. Oregon, again, put up a great first half. Second half, struggled a little bit to put points on the board. Do you see the same things? What were your thoughts? Why do you think that happened? Well, I think, you know, it was the, you know, that, and we'll get into this later, but the, or maybe we can just get into it now. Yeah, but now. that, that, uh, the, when Jalen Red had that touchdown called back, which, you know, if you don't want, want the truth, now's a good time to hit mute, <laughs> but that was the right call. I hated it. That changed the momentum of the game. Because after that, you had a, uh, a bad handoff. Then you picked up positive plays. Then you had the, the bad snap that led to a, a, uh, a scoop and score by an Oregonian native. Um, and so that momentum, it went from potentially being 31-7 to 7 to uh, 21-24 in three minutes. Yeah. That changed the game. And... You can say all you want about that call and how they need to change the rule and how blah, 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 blah. But the fact is, is Oregon had the ball first and goal from the one, and we didn't score. That's not on the officials. It's really not even on Stanford. That, that's all on Oregon. And I, and I watched that play that, uh, that, that uh, Cyrus Abibi Lioko fumbled. That was wide open. Yep. All he had to do was just jump over a couple linemen, and he was going to score easily. But I don't know what I don't know what happened with the handoff exchange. But something happened. They didn't get it. Luckily, Herbert fell on it and gave us another opportunity. That's one of those plays where I guess in this ball game, especially this is one of the first games I've seen where there was probably five or six different plays uh, that if they go Oregon's way, Oregon wins the ball game. Five or mm-hmm. six different, completely different plays. If um, 
one if Verdell scores and doesn't hit the pylon or he wins the ball game. Red, red, not Verdell, red. Yep, you're right, you're 100%. Red, if red scores, uh, Oregon wins the ballgame. If um, Hanson doesn't get the yips and have a couple bad snaps, Oregon wins the ballgame. If those bad snaps happen and Justin Herbert is able to fall on it, Oregon kicks a field goal and keeps the momentum. Uh, Mm -hmm. Again, if that touchdown is scored, Oregon keeps the momentum. You know, it's just there were so many things in that game. If Oregon doesn't get a personal foul penalty on the kickoff return that that may change play calling you know on at the yeah, very good. end of the ballgame uh if oregon gets one or two of those personal foul pe- or uh, uh pass interference penalties in overtime they, they might score it may change the outcome it's just, it was incredible how many times there was you call it a 50 50 and they just didn't didn't get it done and it, yeah, you know me. At, yeah, go ahead. At the end of at the at, during halftime, me and a friend were talking, and we were talking about I believe it was Justin Hollins, his strip sack he had on the quarterback right before yeah. halftime. Yep. And and that ball was running on the ground, and we're like, well, how many times do you see the first guy that goes to jump on it, and the ball squirts out, and uh, we had a linebacker standing right there, ready to pick it up, and if he does, he scores easily. Yep. But for that reason, the ball didn't bounce that way. But then you look towards that play, and, and Herbert was there. He went to go jump on it, and the ball squirted it out. That and uh, Alfredi or whatever was right there to pick it up and score. And if so uh, he doesn't same, scoop and score, or he probably play, plays, what, right? What's that? If he doesn't scoop and score, if he gets if he scoops and gets tackled right there, Oregon. Yeah, you know, Oregon's defense was playing at a high level. We yep. we stop them and get force a punt or whatever. Yep. Even if we force them to drive the length of the field and score. Oregon wins. Yep. <laughs> so you'll go a little mad if you try to uh, rationalize how this game turned out. Yeah, and it's just the way the ball the ball bounced. You know, one thing I talk about, and one of the things that that Oregon did wrong is they didn't finish. Yep. They, they turned the ball over three times. One of them was at the end of the game, um, but they didn't finish. They didn't have an answer for their passing game, which is, is wild to me. Um, we didn't have much of a pass rush, but it's just you got to finish. Those are the games that you have to finish. Yeah. And do you think that was? I think my personal opinion is it was a, a combination of a few things. One, um, it being an Oregon team that was young and hadn't been in those big type of games. I think it was to the coaching staff again, still trying to rally that team, and it still co- correlates to them being young. Uh, and just not finishing, like you said, not finishing the ball game. They didn't, they didn't step on the throat when they had the chance, and then they got burned for it. And and as anybody that watches sports, any any amount can tell you that if a team is able to step on the throat and finish off a team before the game ends, that is a precursor for that team having success down the road. If they leave that door open, even a small amount even a small amount, there's that chance that the other team wakes up and comes back and beats them. Because you have to you have to close a team out. You have to beat a team when you have the opportunities. Because at the end of the day, the team that executes is going to win. And if you're leaving yeah. points on the field, you're not going to win, period. Yeah, and that's, that's what Chip Kelly always did so well. Is as soon as he saw blood, he immediately went for the jugular. Yeah. And... and, and made these games a complete blowout and you're just like sitting there like wait a second we were just up 14 how are we up by 34 right now yeah 
and it would happen so fast that it was just it, it was fun to watch to be honest so give me uh actually i'll give you mine and then you you okay. give me yours is offensive and defensive organ standout uh for the game offensive standout I'm not going to choose the obvious, Justin Herbert, because that's cheating. I'm not going to choose the second obvious, and Dylan Mitchell, because that's also cheating. I am going to give my offensive We picked standout. the same wrong, I bet. I bet you we picked the same one. Did you pick the offensive line? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Folks, this is how you can tell we don't talk about this before the show, to give you a complete <laughs> candid answers. Well, <laughs> my offensive standout for the game is the offensive line. They out Stanford at Stanford, and that was one of the best things I've seen in a long time. Oregon for years, going back to probably when they instituted the spread with Gary Croton uh, back in, what, 2003, is they were yeah, known okay. as a team that can beat you uh, from the 20-yard line to the 20-yard line, but once you get into the red zone, they're not physical enough and they can't score. Well, I think the Stanford game showed us that the Oregon offensive line is now just as physical as the best in the nation and that they are getting my offensive standout of the game award. Now, I'm going to let Justin go and talk about his offensive standout of the game and we'll see if he comes up with an original one or if he just copies what I said. <laughs> uh, I said the offensive line, but I'll tell you why. Oh, give me a Because they, they, they proved that they could run the football. Remember, coming into the game, that was my biggest question mark. Can we run the football? And, you know, we ran the ball for 178 yards against Stanford. Uh, Verdell had a phenomenal game, and, and I'm, I'm going to stick to that. He played lights out. He had one mistake. Uh, but he, he ran hard behind an offensive line that opened up huge holes. And sometimes they weren't always that big. Sometimes it was only three, four yards. But those four yards is now second and six. And now Stanford has to choose. Am I going to keep in my my base defense or am I going to bring in a nickel defense? And so, so those four yards in first down are huge. And so that's why I chose the offensive line as my standout. And that makes sense, I guess, if you're an unoriginal person like yourself. <laughs> no, I think he had a great game. Um, over 100 yards rushing. One thing that I liked about him is, and I think they talked about it a little bit in the broadcast too, was that when he is taking a handoff or he is cutting around a corner, he hits the hole about 100 miles an hour. And mm -hmm. so that's why you see that even if there's not really a hole, he's still getting two, three, four yards because when he hits that hole, he's going 100 miles an hour. And one thing... Travis Dye also does this, the the other running back that got some carries, which I'm going to go off on a little tangent here. I think that Travis Dye is a great story. I think he's a great kid. I think he's a great, uh, you know, special teams player. I do not think he is a running back in the Pac-12 level. I do not think he is a starting level running back at the Pac-12 level. And he, Why? And he, okay, yeah, that's a great point. I think that he may grow into a backup maybe second or third string guy i don't see just initially now this is hot take time i don't see his something special that a starting running back has so cj verdell has that that punch that he hits the hole 100 miles an hour travis die hits it just as fast but he he just doesn't have that that extra gear that extra shimmy move uh 
he doesn't have the Tony Brooks James skill level. He doesn't have the, if you want to call it, uh, D'Anthony Thomas speed. Um, I just don't think he is. And I, I thought that Oregon really took a step back, even though he was pushed in by injury. And Travis Dye had to get a few, run, uh, a few series due to injury to Verdell and Tony Brooks James. I just don't think I just don't think I don't think he is, and I don't think he will be ever a starting Oregon running back. I'm going to disagree with you because I think Travis Dye um, is going to be a phenomenal running back for Oregon. Uh, he, he's shown he's capable. He, he's fearless. He, he's quick, um, and he, he'll be listed as a number three. But clearly, I think it's Verdell one, Dye two. Tony Brooks James three and I just think what he brings is just that fearless attitude like no matter what happens I'm just going to put my nose in there and I'm going to run as hard and fast as I can go and I'm going to see what happens uh, and so I, I just think you can say he was put in there for, for injuries but I don't think that's the case I think it was just his time to get some runs and he he's just a different running back than those others to, and that's what makes him special. Interesting. He's little. He's smaller than the other ones, which would make him a little harder to bring down because he could hide behind the offensive line. I'm not seeing when when you see a freshman running back run the football. When you saw Lamichael James, Royce Freeman, Lamichael yeah. James never played as a true freshman. Right, but I'm saying when you saw them first touch the ball is what I'm saying. Is there was that there was that X factor that I just don't see with Travis Dye. That's all. I just don't see it. I completely disagree with you. Okay. We'll check back in four years. <laughs> okay. And we'll compare notes. Uh defensive right. standout. Who is your defensive stand? I'll let you go first this time. Uh Kalana Apulu, um Apelu. Um he had four or five tackles, like I said, in the first drive. He forced Stanford to block him um, and freed up other player, players on the offensive line. It freed up Die a little bit. And he just, he, he made about two or three tackles on Love that he rocked him. Um, and like, it wasn't just like, oh, you hit him hard and Love like kind of stumbled. Like, he hit him and brought him down. And, and so to me, that first two series when he was flying all over the place, making big hits, uh, making plays in the backfield, that forced Stanford to make adjustments to have to send somebody to him, which opened up, um, which freed up other players. So to me, that's why he was my defensive standout. I like it. I can take that. Um, my defensive standout is probably also my favorite player, Jordan Scott, nose tackle. Very oh, large. wow, way to be original. I know. Very large human in the middle of the defense there. No, but there were times where, like you said, we, on that fourth down play, where he was taking on two, three offensive linemen from Stanford and, and winning that battle. Uh, and I think a few times where he was just in the hole before uh, Bryce Love even got there, which made Bryce Love feed back into Kalano Apello. So without Jordan Scott, Kalano Apello does not get the defensive standout honors from you. So I, I just don't want to say that I've helped create yours, but without oh my, my defensive standout, I don't think your defensive standout stands out. So that's all I wanted to say about that. One thing I wanted to bring up a little bit, did you see anything uh, on the defensive side of the football in the secondary that Oregon could have done better to either defend against or to cover better or whatever, however you want to say it, 
uh, Stanford's big tall receivers because it's unfair. It's a it's an anomaly that you don't see very often in the NCAA, mm-hmm. and so it's weird. But how do you? Because they got they got burned by it. Um, they couldn't stop those big tall wide receivers and tight ends. How? What yeah, did you see they were doing? And then what what would you have done to try to stop them? Well, I think they did all that they could do because a lot of those are just jump balls, um, whether it be to the tight ends or to the receivers. Costello would just throw it up there, find find the matchup, throw it up there, and their guys would box out the defensive guys and just go up and catch it. There's a whole not a whole lot that they could do. Um, you, you know, they're, I'm sure they're teaching them, as soon as you see their eyes, you look up, you put your hands where their hands are, and then you try to find the football and knock it away. It's hard to do when you're being boxed out. It's like getting a rebound. It's it's hard. Um, what could they have done? Maybe grab them by the shoulder pads and, and force them to call PIs and not give up a 40-yard bomb and just give up a 15-yard penalty. Uh, or just get your head around and find the football and knock it down. There was one time on – it was a third and long on their game-tying field goal – where he threw it up to the middle and it looked like uh, Ugo had a chance to make a play on the ball, but he just hesitated for half a second, which allowed the ball to get by him. And so it's just, they, they never made a play for the ball. It is, would, be, would be my biggest gripe. That makes sense. Um, yeah, it was kind of almost too bad because they, they were usually in position. I think there was only really one play where an Oregon DB, at least I saw on TV, really got beat uh just straight up got beat it seemed like they were in position most of the time to make a play or at least uh had um i don't know some some way to uh have an impact on the play which is which is an improvement because two years ago if you remember with the mark helfridge uh brady hoke era guys were five ten yards away from receivers mm-hmm. at all times so um that's an improvement that that coach Levitt has brought in which i like um, let's talk a little bit about uh, Marcus Arroyo and his offensive play calling. I loved it because what Me too. It, it seemed like, honestly, it seemed like he almost called a perfect game and it was factors out of his control that made that offense stumble uh, and, and not convert. Uh, it seemed like he really opened up the playbook, whereas in the first three games of the non-conference, uh, it seemed that he uh, really kept it vanilla, but uh, then finally opened up the bag of trips against Stanford. And I think you really saw kind of his fingerprints on that game plan. Yeah, um, I thought his play calling was really, really good. He was aggressive, yet he was able to control the flow of the game. And something that's that's going to go unnoticed, and to me, it's, it's a I don't know why it's to be a big deal to me, but it is. Oregon had a 35-minute time of possession compared to Stanford's 24. So that's, I mean, how many times have we seen that in the last, you know, 15 years of Oregon football? Uh, Not much. So they were able to control the flow of the game with aggressive play calling and and just a dominant offensive line. And I thought you saw some wrinkles and there were some some very, very well-designed plays throughout the game that I would just be like, that okay, that's awesome. Like that that play design is phenomenal. And every time they brought somebody across, I, I kept waiting for the fly sweep. But we never saw it. 
then one time I noticed Red kind of went across, and then he went back behind the receivers as a decoy. And I thought, I wonder if they're going to set something up for later in the game. And sure enough, they did, and Red kicks the pylon over. Um, but his play calling, it's creative. It's aggressive. It's well-designed. Um, it was well-scripted, I thought, in the, the first couple drives. And so to me, if you don't like Marcus Arroyo right now, you're out of your mind because I don't know what he could do different to get you on the same page. Now, I saw some people on Twitter are like, oh, you got to fire Arroyo for that hideous play calling at the end. Um, he needs to know that you got to take a knee. Like, his job is not, the, is not uh, clock management. That's the head coach. And we're going to get into this later. But he was told on the headset, run a play. And so he ran a safe play and didn't turn out to be so safe. However, I, 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 to me, what I really, really liked was that it was in the fourth quarter, their fourth quarter touchdown. It was a fourth and down in field goal range. We're up three. A field goal does no good because the touchdown still, you're still going to lose by a touchdown. They went for it. They got it. They eventually, they scored a touchdown. And uh, to me, that was that was a big play call right there. I 100% agree with you. And let's actually dive into that right now. I'm going to give you my take on that end of game uh, situation where Oregon was running the clock out, needed a first down, uh, and, and ended up fumbling the football. And then we all know the rest of the story. I have zero problem with that play call. Just like I didn't actually have a problem a couple years ago when Dakota Prukop threw a terrible fade pass. Uh, to Darren Carrington uh, at the end of the game against Colorado, and they got picked, uh, and the game was lost. How many, how many times in a football game have you seen teams just run the football, run the clock out, run the football, run the clock out? Mm-hmm. In this case, it is almost just as dangerous to punt to Stanford because you have a long snap, a brand new punter. Stanford would still get the ball back with the opportunity to return it. Uh, if um, so th- there's a multitude of things that can go wrong I have zero problem with running the football with your best on field running back at that time should I play devil's advocate should I, should I tell you how I really feel uh, let's do let's you know the people want to hear the real the real Justin so give them the real <laughs> I, I thought it was the right decision. Um, it was first and 10 that they run the ball. They get seven yards. Now it's second and three. Stanford chooses not to use their timeout. And then to me, that's a huge decision by by David Shaw. And I think it it was a, a gutsy call to, to hold on to it. But at the same time, in a way, he kind of was like, okay, we're not going to win. Second and three, Verdell gets two yards. I don't see him fighting. I see him going down, laying on players, and a defensive guy knocks the ball out. Like, that's more of a freak play than anything. He has nowhere to go because he's laying on a pile of people. Agree. And so, for people to say, oh, you should never stick the ball out, like, I agree. But I don't think he did. To me, he had the ball up into his chest. And the guy just, just knocked the ball out and it came loose. He, he's a, a freshman running back who will learn from this. And you know my biggest problem I have with all this? What? 
people who tweet at him after the game saying that, that, that he should quit football, that he shouldn't show up anymore, that he should just turn his pads in, <laughs> you guys, you guys suck. And don't ever associate yourself with this program. Go buy an OSU hat right now. Go put it on. They got tickets very cheap for every game to just go up there and, and become a Beaver fan because we don't want you. If your instant reaction is to tweet at him and tell him how much he sucks, you you suck and you're an idiot. Nice. That's how I feel. I love it. And yeah, and here's the other thing. And, and, and one more thing. Yeah, I'm going to add one more thing. Keep going. True freshman punter. True freshman long snapper. Do we not remember Michigan versus Michigan State just two years ago, exactly. three years ago, that whatever was it was? My point. Yeah. Michigan State never led. Until they blocked a field goal or botched the field goal attempt or a punt attempt, <laughs> and they were able to run it back for the game-winning touchdown. Since when has Oregon fans wanted to punt the football? Now all of a sudden we're like, oh, we need to punt the ball. Like, are you nuts? Like, when is punting ever the right decision? Well, it's never the right decision in my mind. Exactly. You get so now it's third and one. Let's say he does a fumble. It's third and one. They have to burn a timeout. He has to use it right then. Hoping he gets a stop on fourth down. 51 seconds left. You're going to burn. Uh, we're going to run it down to probably, I don't know, 20 seconds or whatever it would have been. Now all of a sudden, that 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 first down, you get it. Game over. We kneel. We, we run off the field happy. And again, I, I think. Oh, go ahead. Yep. I think it's the. I, I do think it was the right call. So yes, I do. And again, this is my point: is even on that play, if if Oregon doesn't get that personal foul penalty on the kickoff, they're 15 yards more. They can kick a field goal. They can. They put Stanford so deep with 10 seconds left or what have you that Stanford can't run a play. So it's just there's so many little things that went not Oregon's well, way that it only be it only be 12 and a half yards because it's half the distance. Right. At that you're point. right. You're right. You're right. Um, one thing that I wanted to bring up is, let's say Verdell doesn't fumble, Oregon wins, we go on, everybody's happy, Oregon's 4-0. Nobody even remembers that Oregon ran the ball to end the game. Nobody um, even yeah, remembers. No. And that's and that's where no, what they go ahead. What they say is, is how great of a how, you know how they'd be like big balls, crystal ball, uh, <laughs> because he was aggressive. He didn't take the easy way out. And so that's what people would be saying. But now all of a sudden, because it doesn't work, oh, I'm an armchair quarterback. I know better than he does. Yeah. So I, again, no complaints at all. If they're in that same situation, run it again. I have no complaints with how, because it's also, it's a style. It's a mentality. It's a way to go about the game where you're, like you said, being proactive and trying to end the game, trying to take the game into your own hands. Yep. Agreed. Um, now, one item that came out after this game, Taj Griffin, the electric running back slash wide receiver that's been in Oregon for four years now, tweeted out that he will be transferring from the program. It's speculation is that it's lack of playing time, which is understandable uh, because he got zero run in that entire game. What are your thoughts on this? The timing of it, the way he did it. Uh, do you have an opinion? Um... Yes, I think, you know, Taj, when he came in as a freshman, he came in with, with Helfrich. Uh, I'm trying to think, what did that, that would have been Marcus, what did that would have been uh, Adams, if yeah. I remember right? I think Adams, yeah. 
Um, anyway, but they used him a lot out, out of the backfield to, to run sideways. And remember, everybody's biggest complaint was he wouldn't ever hit a hole. He would just, just run out of bounds. Um, but they did use him to run a lot of routes and a lot of wheel routes out of the backfield. You get matched up on a linebacker, like that's an easy win for, for Tosh. Last year, they tried him out wide receiver, didn't work out. I believe after his freshman year, he tore his ACL. Um, and ever since then, he just was never able to really find, get a good foothold on the football field. And so, you know, different systems, he's just not, like, where does he fit on this team? It, to me, he doesn't fit anywhere. Yeah. And so, and this is why the new redshirt rule is so important because now he can redshirt this year and play wherever next year. And that new redshirt rule states that he can play in up to four games, correct? Where the old rule used to yeah. be if you play in one game, you burn your redshirt. Yes. Interesting. Okay. Well, I am going to flush the Stanford game unless you have any final thoughts on it. Uh, fans that throw stuff, fans that tweet at players negative things, and fans that leave early suck. I like it. I like the passion. Okay. <laughs> so Cal, Oregon goes to Cal. It's the first road game of the season. Can I add one more thing? Yeah, of course. So in our section, we're in section 23. Somebody in section 22, not far from me, had a cowbell in overtime. We're on offense, and he's ding 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 ding. In between plays, I'm screaming at them. Rip that out of his hands. Stop the cowbell. If I can hear Herbert's clap 90 yards away, <laughs> they can hear that cowbell. Yeah, Herbert's clap was, uh, you could hear, he was, he really practiced that thing. That was impressive. You could hear that on the mics. Um, okay. My but, sister, yep. my sister was so impressed with his clap. And she was like, she wants credit for that last comment, but I'm not going to give it to her. No, can't. Uh, no, never. That was my line. But, uh,. <laughs> But, but why would you make noise when, when Oregon's on offense, especially a cowbell? Oh, man. And if you're sitting by somebody doing that, tell him to knock it off or grab it out of his hands and shove it somewhere. So one thing we can gather from my co-host Justin tonight is very fiery. <laughs> it's on one. It is. I am. The I'm fired up. No, I'm kidding. Okay. Can I go to Cal now or do you want to try to no, let's, let's move on. Okay. We're running up on time here. So, uh, Oregon goes to Cal. Play the California Golden Bears. The possibly a trap game after coming off a big emotional swing like the Stanford game where you're you're pretty down afterwards. Uh, Justin, how do you, as a coach, how do you rally your team to get ready for the next week? You just flush it. You have them flush it. You, you move on. And I thought Cristobal had a pretty good quote today, and he's saying that it's important for coaches to flush it because if you come in saying, oh, you got to flush your flaws, but yet you haven't done it yourself, they will know that and they will hold on to it just as long as you do. So it's going to be important for these coaching, for these, this coaching staff to flush this game and to move on to next week and, and to move on to Cal. And I, I think we got the, the right crew intact to do just that. Definitely, definitely. One thing that... Um... I hope Oregon can do going forward 
is you know like you said i think because they're young they should be able to 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 flush it and move on i just hope there's not a lingering kind of first or two like first quarter or two even uh because i think this cal team is just dangerous enough that they might get into trouble if they do that so give me your organ will will beat cal if they do this um they 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 flush it um like we just talked about they're able to 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 control the line of scrimmage again, run the football, control the time of possession, keep Cal's offense off the field, which is crazy that I'm saying that because I sound so much like a Stanford fan. It's ridiculous. <laughs> but that's just who this, the identity of this team is now. Um, but most importantly, we have got to win the turnover battle. We lost it 3-0 against Stanford. We are probably losing it for the season, um, but that has got to turn around. Yep. I agree. Um, Oregon will lose this game if they do this. As you said in the words of Joe Gisante, don't let Stanford beat you twice, um, which is a real possibility. We can't sit here and say, oh, no, this team, they're not going to go. They could very easily hold on to this, or they could try too hard in the first couple of series and dig themselves into a hole. Um, If the defense is worn out from a physical game last week, if, if Chase Garbers has a big game through the air, like these are things that, that are, are legit concerns that, that need to be addressed in practice, and we have got to figure out our pass defense, whether it's putting more pressure on the quarterback, whether it's playing different guys, um, or whether it's just making plays. It, it needs to be figured out, and I, I, think, I think it will. My concern with the pass defense that Oregon has um, is you have Washington still coming up and you have Arizona State coming up. And it concerns me that our pass defense, although not terrible like it was, it's not good yet. And so, again, four games in, there's still time to work. But uh, that's that's kind of the, the worry that I have going forward. Yeah, and, and I don't think uh, that KJ Costello gets enough credit for being as good as he is. To me, he's he's way better than Browning. Um, he's probably going to be the, the second best quarterback uh, in this conference um, behind Herbert. Uh, and so, it's going to be easy for us to be like, "Oh, uh, our pass defense sucks." Like, well, no, just Costello's pretty good at, and really threw the ball to where only his receivers could get it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and they're ungodly big. Yeah, they're so big. All right, score predictions. What do we got? Cal game. 7.30, whatever it is, 7 p.m. Saturday night, yeah. Pac-12 after dark. Things get weird. Uh, I got I got Oregon winning 48-27. 48-27. I have Oregon winning 38-31. That's right, folks. 38-31. And now wow. it's time for your favorite part of the show. I know it's my favorite part. It's your favorite part. It's the super-specific predictions of the week. I only have two super-specific predictions this week. All right. You want me to go first? Sure. Did you get your paper all organized out there? I heard you a little some ruffling of the paper. Yeah, I was I was actually looking to see the scores from last or the predicted scores from last week. You so can't use the just, defense will score. I can do whatever I want. That's fair. Okay, uh, my first super specific prediction of the week: CJ Verdell will be named the starter for the game and have his second straight 100-yard performance. Very specific. Two, Oregon will come out in the all-whites. They're going to break out of the white helmet. 
that they didn't release. Oh yet. my god! They're gonna break out all whites. Stormtrooper look. We're coming to we're coming to the bay. The Death Star. Hashtag nerds unite. Oregon will be in the Stormtroopers. Oregon will win 38-31. Go into the bye week healthy, ready to take on the hated Washington Huskies. That that uh, prediction that they're going to be in all white is like saying, and Oregon's mascot will be at the football game. Like it, it's that basic. You're basic. Go get your pumpkin spice latte. <laughs> Uh, so my mine are uh, kind of along the same lines as you. Verdell has a huge game. Um, are you ready for this one? I'm ready. The defense will get at least three interceptions. Ooh, three picks. I like it. They come alive. And there will be multiple pass interference calls on Oregon that they didn't call against Stanford. Same type of calls. I like it. So that's my prediction. I like it. I like it. I like it. Um, Alrighty, folks. Thanks for tuning in. We'll be back next week with our cow review and our buy preview. Or maybe we'll just do a cow review and then we'll do a Washington preview show as well because we have the buy week in there. But uh, ladies and gentlemen, Good thank call. you so much. Justin, why don't you send us out with the final words? Fans, don't be idiots. Don't throw stuff. Uh, and... I, I can't stress this enough. Um, when I was younger, I would take these losses really, really hard. Um, I've learned over the years that it's easier to just enjoy the moment and, and, and enjoy the things Oregon did well. Yes, the loss sucks, but we are a much better team on both sides of the ball than we have been in, in many years. Um, so learn to not take them so hard and so personally don't email the commissioner because that makes you look like a fool and as always go ducks and go hug your loved ones go ducks